0: Hello, and welcome to the re-re-read podcast, where we consider what contemporary writers like you and me can learn from classic literature. This week, we're still looking at Conrad's The Secret Agent, and the very effective way that Conrad depicts horror. Everybody remembers the famous last words of Kurtz in Heart of Darkness, the horror, the horror, which for many years now I've been hearing in the voice of Marlon Brando playing Job of the Hutt in Apocalypse Now. Before that, it was the voice of my high school English teacher who had a haunted quality all her own. A long time ago, I read somewhere that horror is the closest genre to literary fiction because horror deals with the subconscious. It brings to light the forces which, in their more repressed forms, give literary writing its layers of nuance. Maybe I'm making this up, but it made sense to me back then, and it still does. Now, I rarely read horror fiction and almost never watch horror movies. I have, however, taught Stephen King's Misery, which I think is a fascinating book, partly because it's specifically about the conflict between genre and literary writing. But the book also has several eruptions of pure gore, which to my possibly biased taste feel perfunctory, a nod to the genre and or King's fans' expectations. One year I told my students they could skip these passages, giving them the page numbers in advance, but then I wondered... Had this been a bona fide literary book, would I have told them they could skip parts? No, but because I thought of this as a genre book, I considered the horror gratuitous, whereas in The Secret Agent, or in Tim O'Brien's Vietnam stories, or any number of other works, the gore seems critically important. Yes, it's awful, but there's a lesson to be learned from it. Something along the lines of confronting the monstrosity within human beings, or in the universe itself. Whereas in King, for example, the confrontation can feel like mere spectacle. But how do you draw the line? I don't know. Especially in Misery, I sense King is winking at us throughout. Yep, this is mass-market horror, so here's your yuck sandwich. Happy now? Well, are you? All this is leading up to the grisly scene of the blown-up body in The Secret Agent, which presents a clinic on horror writing. And yes, if you're uncomfortable with violence and gore, you might want to stop the podcast now. Though this scene isn't exploitative, and it is necessary, I believe, for the story, it is upsetting. A local constable in uniform cast a sidelong glance and said, with stolid simplicity, He's all there, every bit of him. It was a job. He had been the first man on the spot after the explosion. He mentioned the fact again. He had seen something like a heavy flash of lightning in the fog. At that time he was standing at the door of the King William Street Lodge talking to the keeper. The concussion made him tingle all over. He ran between the trees towards the observatory. As fast as my legs would carry me, he repeated twice, Chief Inspector Heat, bending forward over the table in a gingerly and horrified manner, let him run on. The hospital porter and another man turned down the corners of the cloth and stepped aside. The chief inspector's eyes searched the gruesome detail of that heap of mixed things, which seemed to have been collected in shambles and rag shops. "'You used a shovel,' he remarked, observing a sprinkling of small gravel, tiny brown bits of bark, and particles of splintered wood as fine as needles.' Had to in one place, said the stolid constable. I sent a keeper to fetch a spade. When he heard me scraping the ground with it, he leaned his forehead against a tree and was sick as a dog. The chief inspector, stooping guardedly over the table, fought down the unpleasant sensation in his throat, the shattering violence of destruction which had made of that body A heap of nameless fragments affected his feelings with a sense of ruthless cruelty, though his reason told him the effect must have been as swift as a flash of lightning. The man, whoever he was, had died instantaneously, and yet it seemed impossible to believe that a human body could have reached that state of disintegration without passing through the pangs of inconceivable agony.' No physiologist, and still less of a metaphysician, Chief Inspector Heat rose by the force of sympathy, which is a form of fear above the vulgar conception of time. Instantaneous, he remembered all that he had ever read in popular publications of long and terrifying dreams, dreamed in the instant of waking, of the whole past life lived with frightful intensity by a drowning man as his doomed head bobs up, streaming, for the last time. The inexplicable mysteries of conscious existence beset Chief Inspector Heat, till he evolved a horrible notion that ages of atrocious pain and mental torture could be contained between two successive winks of an eye; and meantime the Chief Inspector went on, peering at the table with a calm face and the slightly anxious attention of an indigent customer bending over what may be called the by products of a butcher's shop, with a view to an inexpensive Sunday dinner. All the time, his trained faculties of an excellent investigator who scorns no chance of information followed the self satisfied, disjointed loquacity of the constable. Further gory details are, shall we say, scattered over the next several pages. But the central image, I think, is here it's the sound of the scraping shovel. In a way, it's an echo of the bell in Mr. Verloc's shop, which we talked about in a previous episode, a mundane sound that, in this story, becomes a Pavlovian cue to shudder. The horror is further set off by the self-satisfied, disjointed loquacity of the constable, which contrasts with Heat's metaphysical reflections, fueled, interestingly, by the pulp stories of his day, as well as by Conrad's comparison of Heat to a customer in a butcher's shop. So for those of us who want or need to include some horror in our writing, effective horror often involves ordinary objects, sounds, and so forth becoming suddenly decontextualized and perverted. This is something Stephen King knows very well, but the scene I've just read is not gratuitous horror for a couple of reasons. One, it induces the otherwise stolid inspector to reflect on universal human questions and fears. Two, we're already starting to gather a strange word in this context, but somehow right, who the dead man is. Our mounting fear is not just for ourselves, I hope that never happens to me, but for him and the women who care for him. Like the concentric circles that the victim, Stevie, draws in the beginning, the explosion radiates outward, not just physically, but thematically, psychologically, and metaphysically. The fact that ordinary objects can change their meaning becomes a source of a different kind of horror, the kind Melville creates in Moby Dick, an earlier series in this podcast, by the way. It is the fear of utter dislocation and disconnection of the vast indifference or possibly boundless malevolence of the universe. Enjoy your weekend.